0: And we're, we're celebrating Easter this morning. Uh, it's not a thing that's required in the Bible to do, but we want to join in with the churches around the world that take kind of a special time to meditate on and celebrate the, the resurrection of Jesus Christ. What I want to do this morning is look in the Gospel of John, you know, the four Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, and I don't want to look at his account of the actual resurrection, where we're going to pick up Jesus has been crucified. He has risen from the dead. And people have seen him. And that's very important. That all but one of the now 11 apostles, Judas Iscariot, went his own way. But of the remaining 11, all but one saw his appearance. And here's what's amazing. Um, I I think by now you've heard of Doubting Thomas before. Or heard, heard that expression, Doubting Thomas. This is the account of Doubting Thomas, and it was interesting as I soaked in this passage that doubt is is a pretty mild way of saying it. Uh, The the reality is actually more stark. And here's the thing I want you to see. John, the, the writer, is going to not only let us see that, but right after that, he's going to tell us, here's why I just let you see him do that. John chapter 20 beginning in verse 24. Now Thomas, one of the twelve, called the twin, was not with them when Jesus came. So the other disciples told him, We have seen the Lord. But he said to them, Unless I see in his hands the mark of the nails, and place my finger into the mark of the nails, and place my hand into his side, I will never believe. Eight days later, his disciples were inside again, and Thomas was with them. Although the doors were locked, Jesus came and stood among them and said, Peace be with you. Then he said to Thomas, Put your finger here and see my hands. Put out your hand and place it in my side. Do not disbelieve, but believe. Thomas answered him, My Lord and my God. Jesus said to him, Have you believed because you have seen me? Blessed are those who have not seen and yet have believed. Now, Jesus did many other signs in the presence of the disciples which are not written in this book. But these are written so that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that by believing you may have life in His name. This is God's Word. Let's pray together. Our God and our Father, we ask now that the words of my mouth and the meditations of all of our hearts would be pleasing and acceptable in your sight, O Lord, our rock and our Redeemer. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, it's Easter, so let me begin uh, on an obvious note of uh, Captain Marvel. I don't know if you've seen the movie yet, but uh, the Haybigs have, some of us multiple times. And uh, this is not going to give anything away if you haven't seen the movie. The Marvel Comics is portraying her as a woman in the movie. Uh, t- at the end of the movie, when she really has sort of come into her own with her powers as Captain Marvel, there's this scene almost at the end where she squares off with this main character. And the movie started with her and this same main character... Fighting, and it's so intense that you think they're actually adversaries, and you realize they're in this intense, like, combat training, intense sparring. So, end of the movie, same character. He squares off with her, and you realize he's a bad guy. And uh, he says to me, okay, right now, prove that you can best me. Prove that you're my superior. And she looks at him and she just, Captain Marvel blasts him back about 100 yards into a rock. And uh, so she's in in the desert, and she walks over to him, and the actress that plays Captain Marvel has the perfect amount of, like, swagger. And she walks over to him with her head up, and she just says, I don't have to prove anything to you. Now, I don't want to be irreverent, but if there's anyone whoever had the right to say that to any persons, it would be Jesus to the apostles. They had a front row seat to all the stuff we wish we could see and hear. They had access to him to ask him questions. They saw the most They heard the most. They lived with him, and they knew that his life was airtight. It backed up every single thing he was saying. They knew he's the real deal. And what John is letting us see is that for at least one of them, after the crucifixion, that was not enough. And and this is interesting because if, you know, we're just sort of jumping into this passage in John's gospel. But if you had read all the way through John's Gospel, something that you would have heard way back in chapter 4 is Jesus says something in passing, and he says parallels to this in the other Gospels. In passing, he says, if you, meaning you people, if you don't see signs and wonders, you won't believe. In other Gospels, he says, you know, it's a wicked and adulterous generation that's always seeking after signs it's really, it's convicting. Because I bet a lot of us in this room have thought before, man, I mean, I believe, but I I just, I really think if I could have seen, like in the Old Testament, if I could have seen Mount Sinai, or if I could see God as a pillar of fire at night, or if I could have seen Jesus do the miracles, if I had seen him raise somebody from the dead, I just feel like it would be so much easier to believe. Uh, Thomas had it... Front row center. And after the crucifixion, it wasn't enough. Uh, and it was interesting, as I, as I was soaking in this passage, I shared with a couple of church members during the week, just as I, was, as I was meditating on it, that, you know, we call him Doubting Thomas, but he didn't say he doubted. You know, he didn't say, okay, guys, I know you say that you saw him, but I'm just really struggling with it. And that would be Doubting Thomas. Did you catch what he said? He says, if I don't see the marks from these, these lethal wounds, and if I don't put my finger where the nails went and put my hand where the spear went in his side, quote, I will never believe. That is, I would say, stronger than doubt. And I, when I shared this with a couple of church members that I was thinking about this, both of them independently said some version of, that kind of sounds like me. And that's why I'm calling this sermon The Apostle Who Sounds Like Us. John John is letting us see an apostle not believe. So let's, let's look at two things the sound of unbelief and the sound of belief. All right? Pretty straightforward. First off, the sound of unbelief. Now just I don't want to beat this to death, but just so we're on the same page, who is it that's not believing? This is Thomas an apostle. Now, we don't know a ton about him. This is one of three different times where John tells you that they called him the twin. I have no idea why John wants us to know this so bad, but he tells you three times in the gospel, I'm telling you, we called him the twin. There was actually an old tradition that Thomas may have been a dead ringer for Jesus, and John just is writing and saying, like, I'm just telling you, he looked just like him. I don't know if that's true. But they called him the twin, so let, that, let the record show. But... What I really want to show you is verse 24. Thomas is one of the twelve. Now again, the most teaching. The most proximity being right there for the miracles. The inside track when Jesus would publicly tell a parable, but then just with his disciples tell you what all the symbolism means. But, But even think about this. The other gospels tell us about, Jesus sending out the apostles two by two to go into villages, go into towns, and not just preach in his name. So Thomas had evangelized and preached in Jesus' name. But on top of that, heal people. Cast out demons. Do miracles in the name of Jesus. Thomas did all that. That's who it is. That, that's the one who's, who's not believing. We don't know a, a lot more about him. John is where you learn the most about him. I'll, I'll tell you one important scene it is in John chapter 11 before this when uh, Jesus' friend Lazarus dies. And, you know, Jesus was friends with his family of siblings. There's, there's Lazarus and Mary and Martha. And they live together as siblings in this just like one town over from Jerusalem in Bethany. And in John chapter 11, you get this record that, that word goes to Jesus from the sisters the one you love is sick, and Jesus doesn't go, and then Lazarus dies. And uh, Jesus says to his disciples, We're going to go to Bethany because our friend Lazarus is asleep. And they knew he, would, he had been sick. And the disciples say, Well, if he's sick, maybe then, you know, if he's sleeping, he'll get. Get better. And Jesus says plainly, Lazarus is dead. And so we're going to go to him. And, uh, and Thomas is the one, and we don't quite know what he meant by this, where he says, well, if we're to die, let's go with him. What does he mean? Die with Lazarus? Die with Jesus? We don't know what he means, but I mean, clearly he thought, hey, if we identify with Jesus, we're going to go where he goes, and if it means our death, it means our death. So he's not a... F- He's not a loosey-goosey follower. He's an apostle. So what does unbelief sound like? Now, this is interesting, and I don't want to be speculative, but I think it's worth noting that if the Gospels were made up, how would you expect this to read? That Thomas wasn't there... The other ten saw him. They tell him, and he's brimming with confidence, and he knows that everything they're saying is true, and he eagerly anticipates when he's going to get to see him too. How does the passage actually read? Verse 25, the other disciples told him, and if I can be teachy here, the way that Greek verb, the, the, the verb tense is used, it seems to indicate they kept telling him. They kept saying, Thomas, we saw him. Come on, man. We All of us saw him. We're telling you the truth. The other disciples told him, We have seen the Lord, but he said to them, Unless I see in his hands the mark of the nails and place my finger into the mark of the nails and place my hand into his side, feel this, I will never believe. And here's my question. How did an apostle who saw what he saw And heard what he heard, who lived with Jesus, not for months, but for years. How did he get to that point? We don't exactly know. But based on the evidence that we have, based on the account that we have, here's what seems to be the case, is that when Thomas realized what had happened to his rabbi, his leader on whom he put all his hopes, that he was brutalized, tortured, and murdered in the just worst way. Roman crucifixion. It was so painful. It was so confusing. It was so disillusioning that he did something that I think just about every person in this room either has done or is going to be tempted to do in the future, and it's this, is where you just finally enthrone your pain. You're hurting so bad. You're so confused. You're so wounded. You just enthrone it. And everything you experience from then on sort of has to answer to that. Have you ever done that? Or are you doing that right now? You know, God, I was happy living there. I had friends. I had community. I wasn't lonely. And you put me there when you knew that was my real home. That's where I was happy. And you've got a lot of explaining to do now. If you're going to expect me to believe that you're loving, you've got some talking to do. You can prove it to me. Or, you know, God, I was working. And I liked my work, and I had revenue, and now I'm without work, and I don't know where to find work, and I don't have regular revenue, and it's killing me. And if you're gonna if you're gonna get me to believe that you're loving, you're gonna have to prove it. But I think the biggie is when uh, there's death. You know, I loved my sibling. I loved my mom. And this one is the doozy. I loved my child. And you took them. And you got some things to prove to me. Now I don't care what sermons I've heard and I don't care how much Bible I've read and I don't care how many deep Christian books I've read. You're going to have to prove it to me. Now, that's the sound of unbelief. So what does belief sound like? Let's go to verse 26. This is interesting because so much of what we're celebrating today is the day of the resurrection. This is about eight days later. So picture, you know, Tuesday after the resurrection, where is Thomas internally? I will never believe. Where is he on Thursday? I will never believe. So verse 26, eight days later, his disciples were inside again, and Thomas was with them. Although the doors were locked, Jesus came and stood among them and said, and he had done this before, Peace be with you. Shalom. Now he says that, he's done that before, but then he directs his comments to Thomas. And this is really amazing. Because on the basis of the scriptures, and as a church that identifies with the historic Christian faith, we believe that Jesus is God. Fully man, but fully God. Jesus does something that God does throughout the Scriptures when He doesn't have to do this with people that are stubborn and willful and won't listen. And He shouldn't have anything to prove or have to accommodate or or give them a nudge. He'll give them a nudge. Peace be with you. And then Jesus says to Thomas, if I may paraphrase, okay, put your finger where the nails were and put your hand in my side. And you know, it's, I, I just say this all the time, but I think I'm just going to keep saying it as long as you let me preach here, <laughs> is that you study passages and you think you know them and then you see something and go, I, I, I never noticed that. You know what I never realized till I really sat with this is that Thomas did not touch him. At least it's not recorded. In fact, Jesus says, yeah, you believe because you've seen me. There's artistic renderings of like Thomas sticking his finger into Jesus' side. It, maybe he did. It doesn't say that he did. But then Jesus says something else. He says, all right, if right, if, I'll do your test. By the way, you know what's mildly frightening about that? Is that that means that Jesus can hear everything we're talking about. You know, I mean, Thomas just said that to the apostles, that, well, unless I get to do such and such. Well, Jesus knew that. So he comes to him and gives him permission to do that. But what else does Jesus say to Thomas? Verse 27. Do not disbelieve, but believe. Now, I want to soak in that for a second. Because think about this. Would you ever say to an alcoholic friend that you care about, just stop drinking and be sober? You would find out in short order that that is uh, ineffective and hurtful and unwise and unhealthy. Would you ever say to a person struggling with depression, stop being Eeyore? And be cheerful, hurtful, unhelpful, wounding. Now, Jesus knows people. And Jesus says to Thomas in his unbelief, Do not disbelieve, but believe. What does that tell us? That it actually is healthy the risen Christ to look at anyone, Thomas or any of us, and say, quit calling it something else. Quit calling it, I'm just hurting too much right now, or I'm just, I don't know, I'm just kind of spiritually cold right now. Quit doing that. Stop disbelieving and believe. Now, that's actually relevant to every single person in the room. I mean, Jonathan said this as he was leading worship, that we don't assume that everyone here is convinced. We, don't, we never assume that everybody in the room is a Christian. But there are Christians here. I, whoever, I'm, just, I'm glad you're here. And, and it is a big deal that you're hearing this, and I don't mean because of the, you know, little man in the bow tie is saying it to you. I mean because we're opening the Word of God, and hearing the historic gospel. That you could be anywhere else, but you're hearing this right now. And God is letting you see somebody not believe. And John's letting you see it. So, what do we do with all this? Like, okay, let me, let me speak first to the person who's here. I don't know who you are, but if you're here and you know that you don't believe. because I, I want to reiterate this. If the Gospels were man-made, if, if, if someone wrote them to try to, like, craft an impression and move you toward a conclusion and kind of control the content of the early church, how would this read? I mean, it would be all confidence and all triumph, and the leaders would all be on the same page. But here's the thing. John says, all right, first I'm going to show it to you, and then I'm going to tell you why I'm showing it to you. But look in verse 30. I just showed it to you. Now, here's why I just showed it to you. Verse 30. Now, Jesus did many other signs in the presence of the disciples which are not written in this book. But these are written so that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that by believing, you may have life in His name. One of John's favorite verbs in this gospel is witness or testify And when you read John's gospel, you'll feel like he's kind of, (laughs) that these hands are coming off the page, grabbing you, going, look, I'm telling you what we saw. And we already believed that he was raised from the dead, but Thomas sure didn't. And I'll tell you, when a man who was crucified walks through a locked door, and by the way, we don't know how that works. But I heard one theologian put it this way, and I hope this isn't too speculative, but I think it's interesting, that in the same way that because you and I are, are more dense and substantive than a mist, which is a real thing, so that our body can just pass through it, it may be the case, don't know, it may be the case that a glorified body, the first one being Jesus's, is so real and dense and alive that it can pass through a locked door like mist. I don't know. But the main point is that he was dead. And he walks up to someone who says, there's no way I'm going to believe unless I touch and see. And he says, all right. Then don't disbelieve, but believe. And and John is saying to the person who doesn't yet believe, look, I want you to see this because I want you to believe. It really sounds like John is your friend. He's our friend. He said, I want you to have life in his name. Now, this is called the gospel. The reason we have books stacked out there called What is the Gospel is because we want you to know the good news whether you ever come back here or not. That if you believe that that man takes care of my sin that man takes care of my death, that man takes care of my eternity, and whatever that means, I'm going to trust him that he does that and he rescues me, then all the promises come to you. It says in the New Testament that every promise is yes in Jesus. Believe. Now, what if you're here and uh, you're already a professing Christian? A lot of people here are professing Christians. You know, we still have unbelief in us. We're sort of a mixed bag of belief and unbelief. There's one man in the New Testament who said, I believe, help my unbelief. And we, I, we can all identify with him. But, you know, uh, just a few weeks ago as we were preparing for Easter, I preached about the curse that we're broken We're fallen. We sin. The earth is fallen, and it's broken, and it's messed up, and the terrible things that flow out of that. And then I talked about that the promise is that God is not just going to remake us, but he's going to make all things new. He's going to make a new heaven and a new earth with no curse. Can we just be honest and say that it kind of sounds like science fiction? And especially right now, if you are in a bunch of pain or you are in a bunch of confusion, you may, be, you may have been sitting there if you were here a few weeks ago thinking, uh, you know what, I like the concept. I like the concept a lot, but I don't know. How do we know? How do we know, know that that's actually going to happen? Listen to this. Tim Keller, uh, who until recently was pastor of Redeemer Presbyterian in New York, prolific writer, um, evangelist, apologist. In an interview a little over 10 years ago with a magazine called First Things, it's, a, it's an ecumenical journal, he had had uh, surgery before that, uh, shortly before that. He had thyroid cancer and he had surgery. So he said, all right, something happened that almost never happens. I had free time. And, uh, you know, convalescing is guilt-free rest. So He's in the hospital bed, and so he decides, and this is what's beautiful about introverts, to read an 800-page book. So he reads this this academic tome by a New Testament scholar named N.T. Wright about the resurrection of Jesus. And it's a doozy. It's in my library. I've never tackled it because I'm scared if I pull it off the shelf, it might break my foot if I mishandle it. But here's what he says. Keller says, okay, this is after... He's been a preacher, and I mean, subscriptions to his sermons are probably in the hundreds of thousands by the time he has this, this surgery. So he's all about the resurrection. But he says to the interviewer, when I was recovering from thyroid cancer, from the surgery, I actually had time on my hands, something I never have had in years, and then probably never will again unless I have something else like that. And so I read every word of N.T. writes the resurrection of the Son of God, all 800 pages, even the indices, because I didn't have anything else to do. As I was reading it, I realized I was coming to greater certainty. And when I closed the book, I said, at a time when it was very important to me to feel this way, I said, he really, really, really did rise from the dead. And I said, well, didn't I believe that before? Of course I believed it before. I defended it. And I think before, I certainly would have died for that belief. But, actually there were still doubts in there. And the doubts were taken down, he says, 50% or so. And then he says, maybe there's a deeper level of doubt that I don't even know is there yet. Don't you think that's all of us? That even if you do believe in the historic Christian faith, even if in a second we stand up and say the Apostles' Creed together and you say, He's risen from the dead, and you, and you really do mean it. Don't you think there are these little chambers in our heart that don't really believe it? And so we feel like, man, I've got to get all my purchases in and all my trips in and all my fun in and all my pleasure in in this life because life is too short. And that what's up underneath that is that we don't really believe that there is an eternity of pleasure for those who believe in Jesus really, Really, really? And the resurrection is saying, He rose. And the down payment on Him making all things new is the resurrected Son of God appearing, not just to apostles, but at one point to over 500 people. And they couldn't get over it. Um... I'm required by law to make at least one reference to the masters and Tiger Woods before the sermon is over. So let me comply with the law and go ahead and do that. Um, If if you didn't see the whole thing last weekend, you probably saw the end. Amazing. Five masters for Tiger Woods. Only one person has one more. Who is it? Jack Nicklaus. Okay, so you are orthodox. (laughs) You do know that historic truth. Uh, have you ever heard about Jack Nicklaus's golf coach? This guy named Jack Grout. Nicklaus called him Jake Grout. And he was famous for focusing on the fundamentals. And so even when Nicklaus was just into this historically unique, successful golf career, he would still train in the fundamentals with... Jay Grout. And, and as the story was told to me, apparently they had something of an annual ritual. This was like after you know Nicholas has won the Masters. He would go back to Coach Grout and um, Coach Grout would say, how can I help you? And Jack Nicholas would say, I'd like to learn how to play golf. And Coach Grout would say, alright, well let's start with learning how to hold the club. This is to Jack Nicholas, And you know, back to fundamentals. All right, I'm about to go on sabbatical. May I go, Coach Grout, with you? And review the fundamentals and then pray? You and I did not make ourselves. You and I did not will ourselves into being. We were created. We're creatures. You and I are creatures. And uh, you and I are unique in... Unlike the rest of creation, we bear the image of God. And, and you show that in a million ways. Your creativity, your ability to work, craft, your indignation about things that are wrong and bad. A million different ways you show that you bear the image of God. And you and I rebel. And we have no good reason to. We want what we want. And we turn in on ourselves. We turn away from Him. And we turn away from each other. And we want what we want. Rebels. And God looked at this beautiful earth filled with rebels. And He had every right to manifest all his indignation. But he so loved the world that he gave his one and only Son that whoever believes in him will not perish, but have everlasting life. If you do that, whether it's for the first time or the ten millionth time, Every promise of God finds its yes in Jesus and is true for you. And again, whether it's for the first time or the millionth time, I want to say in Jesus' name, if you've never seen, we haven't seen him, but if you haven't seen him and you believe in him, Jesus says, now that person is blessed. So whoever you are, don't disbelieve. And don't call disbelief something else. But believe. Amen. Let's pray. Our Lord and our God, we pray that you would open our ears and open our hearts. Where there is unbelief, would you put belief, would you grant belief? If someone's here this morning and has a heart of stone would you take out that heart of stone give a tender heart of flesh in its place but Lord enable us to turn to your son to be like day lilies stretching for the sun and being what we were made to be alive, beautiful vibrant Lord grant us belief and transformation Lord Jesus, we praise you as our risen Savior, and we pray in your name. Amen.